It's the Victorian Variety Show. The ghost not only answers all questions put to it, but readily gives the age of each child in the family and of others in the neighborhood. But the spirit's history of its own affairs is altogether the most marvelous. It states the body it once inhabited was that of a peddler, that it was 31 years of age and was murdered about four years since by the then occupant of the house that the first letter of its given name was C and that of its surname B. But it refused to give the entire name, a very considerate ghost. It's the Victorian Variety Show. My name is Marissa. And that excerpt was from an article on the Fox Sisters and what was then seen as their gift for communicating with the dead in the Daily Gazette of Rochester, New York in the spring of 1848. According to Dr. Andre Dinieco in an article called Victorian Spiritualism, quote, it is generally agreed, end quote, that Maggie and Kate Fox two young sisters from Hydesville, New York, played a strong role in the development of the spiritualist movement that would grow in popularity in the United States and England in the second half of the 19th century. I've decided, now that we're in the month of October and it's a perfect time to discuss all things spooky, I'm going to do a two-part episode on spiritualism. In this episode, I am going to focus primarily on the Fox sisters. And in my next episode in two weeks, I will take a broader look at why the spiritualist movement was so important to people on both sides of the Atlantic during this time, and what that means for us in the present day. But first, I would like to briefly address a housekeeping matter. When I posted my last episode two weeks ago, I noticed that the email address in the show notes of the previous few episodes was incorrect. I fixed it immediately, and I am going to make sure that that link and all of the other links that I post going forward are correct. But I want to sincerely apologize if you tried to email me and weren't able to. Before I go into the story of the Fox sisters, I want to give you a brief description of what inspired the spiritualist movement. In Victorian spiritualism and seances, Maria Hyland cites S.L. Lyon, who explained that spiritualism rested on two core beliefs. The first is that life exists after death, and the second is that we can communicate with spirits through the help of mediums. Prior to the 19th century, several theorists suggested the possibility of humans communicating with spirits. One of these was Franz Anton Mesmer, an 18th century Austrian physician whose theory of animal magnetism posited that the human body is influenced by planetary tides. 
Mesmer put his patients into trances in an attempt to disrupt these often adverse tides. And if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you may remember that I did an episode on mesmerism a few weeks back. If you're new to the show, you might want to go back and listen to that episode. As I discuss mesmerism, as well as Mesmer himself, in much greater detail. But in addition to Mesmer, Swedish theologian Emanuel Swedenborg wrote a number of influential pieces during the 18th century about multiple afterlives and three levels of heaven and hell, all of which were inhabited by spirits through whom we could communicate with the divine. Although both Mesmer and Swedenborg had followers during their lifetimes, the predominant beliefs of the times seemed to consist of heaven and hell, the workings of which were to remain forever a mystery to most of us. However, these views began to change in the first half of the 19th century, thanks in large part to spiritualists such as Andrew Jackson Davis, a New Yorker who not only combined the theories of Mesmer and Swedenborg by proposing that humans could communicate with spirits on higher planes once they were placed in mesmeric trances, according to Mad Halloween, but who also, according to Rosemary Ellen Guili, essentially predicted a quote-unquote living demonstration of the new spiritualist movement as embodied by the Fox sisters. So who were the Fox sisters? In early 1848, 14-year-old Maggie and 11-year-old Kate told their mother that they heard a mysterious rapping on their bedroom walls late at night. On the night of March 31st, 1848, their mother went into the girl's room and began to communicate with the spirit, whom she referred to as Mr. Splitfoot by asking him to imitate her finger snapping and asking him a number of questions. According to the occult museum, Maggie told her mother that it was just a joke. After all, April Fool's Day was the next day. But her mother not only believed that she was interacting with the spirit of one Charles B. Rosna, a man in his early 30s who'd been murdered in the girl's room five years earlier, but ask neighbors to come over and see this interaction for themselves. Needless to say, word spread quickly about the sisters' quote-unquote talent for communicating with spirits. Their older sister, Leah, whose husband had left her, invited her younger siblings to live with her in Rochester, and Leah effectively became their manager. Under Leah's direction, The sisters began holding seances in parlors, where, according to the occult museum, they'd sit at a wooden table, and after saying a prayer and singing a song, they would join hands and start asking spirits questions that could be answered through raps, either as yes or no, or through a number to alphabet code. Eventually, the sisters became so popular that larger venues than parlors were needed. And in November of 1849, they were featured for three nights at Corinthian Hall in Rochester. And several months later, they were traveling throughout the state of New York. At that point, celebrities were coming to see them perform. 
In New York City, they'd make up to $90 per day. The equivalent of that would be $1,600 per day today. It wasn't long before the sisters were traveling across the country, not only drawing large audiences, but also inspiring others, many of them young women like themselves, to try their hands at mediumship. On the surface, it may seem as though life was pretty good for the Fox sisters. But despite the attention they received from admirers and prominent individuals such as P.T. Barnum, writers such as James Fenimore Cooper and William Cullen Bryant, and newspaper editor Horace Greeley, they were also scrutinized by a number of skeptics who claimed that Maggie and Kate made the sounds that were attributed to the spirits by doing things like cracking their knuckles and other joints and throwing their voices. Following their show at Corinthian Hall, a committee was even formed to examine the girls to determine whether they were faking it. The committee bound the sisters' ankles together so that they weren't able to move their feet and checked their underclothes to make sure they weren't hiding noise-making devices there. These attempts at debunking the sisters' supernatural abilities might sound drastic to you, but in the end, the committee wasn't able to find any evidence of fakery. That's not to say that the skeptics bowed their heads in defeat and skulked away. They certainly remained, but they weren't able to put a dent in the sisters' popularity. Although, as I'll explain more in the next episode, this may have been driven as much by societal conditions at the time as it was by the entertainment value of Maggie and Kate's act. As the years passed, Maggie and Kate seemed to grow more and more dissatisfied with their careers as spiritualists. And Maggie in particular tried to give up her career as a medium when she fell in love with Arctic explorer Elisha Kane, who believed that Leah was directing Maggie and Kate to commit fraud. However, after Kane's death in 1857, Maggie not only returned to the spiritual life, but also took to drinking heavily. Kate, who continued to work as a medium all through this time, began drinking as well, possibly due to expectations placed on her by people who came to see her. According to Karen Abbott, in The Fox Sisters and the Rap on Spiritualism, it reached a point where Kate was expected to summon full-fledged apparitions at pretty much every seance. And even when the bar wasn't set quite that high, she was frequently looking for ways to improve on her act by adding techniques like automatic writing and reverse transcription. So it's understandable that it became more and more difficult for the Fox sisters to remain relevant as more and more people became mediums. We see this all the time today. Stars fade for whatever reason, new ones rise up to take their places, and in some cases, the newer stars come up with acts that are bigger and better than anything the older ones could have ever conceived of. Despite the fading of their popularity in the second half of the 19th century, the Fox sisters found themselves back in a spotlight of sorts in October 1888, when, first in an interview with the New York World, and then during an appearance at the New York Academy of Music, Maggie denounced spiritualism to a crowd that included Kate. 
Maggie explained that the so-called deception began when they were very young. And she told the crowd of how she and Kate made the rapping sounds, first by dropping apples on the floor, and then by cracking their knuckles and joints. She also suggested that the people who visited her and Kate for seances were, shall we say, gullible maybe, saying, quote, a great many people, when they hear the rapping, imagine at once that the spirits are touching them. It is a very common delusion, end quote. She also stated that Leah knew that her younger sisters were faking it, but exploited them out of greed. Members of the press, many of whom had been critical of the Fox sisters all along, believed that Maggie's confession essentially would lead to the death of the spiritualist movement. But spiritualists weren't so quick to abandon their beliefs or practices. A number of them believed Maggie had spoken out to exact revenge on Leah, and that Maggie herself was bitter for not having maintained a successful career as a medium. Plus, the fact that Maggie and Kate were heavy drinkers, which appears to have been common knowledge at the time, certainly didn't help matters. Possibly as a result of the backlash, Maggie recanted her confession a year later. But this didn't help her gain back the trust of spiritualists. So even though the spiritualist movement itself didn't fade away, the Fox sisters, who played a prominent role in ushering it in, did fade away. Both Maggie and Kate, poor both financially and in terms of health, died within a few years of Maggie's speech at the New York Academy of Music. That's all I'm going to say about the Fox sisters today. But in my next episode, I really want to put this story into a somewhat broader perspective. Although most of today's discussion centered around spiritualism in America, I want to take a closer look at how and why it was also so popular in England, and also examine how it remained popular even in the face of criticism and after Maggie's well-publicized confession. In addition, I'd like to look at some positive things that spiritualism did in terms of what it did for the people who believed in it and how it benefited Victorian society. I'll admit that my original in intention was to do a rather short introductory episode on spiritualism, but once I started doing research, I saw just how much information there is on this topic and how interconnected a lot of it is. To be honest, I'm not even sure two episodes are enough on this topic. And it's probably one I definitely may want to revisit sometime in the future. But it's one that I enjoy learning and talking about. And hopefully you do as well. If you'd like to let me know what you think, please email thevictorianvarietyshow at gmail.com. And again, I sincerely apologize for the incorrect email link that was listed in previous episodes. You can also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash victorianvariety1, where I post photos and other information that I find online that are relevant to current and future episodes of the show. And if you'd like to support the show financially, you can do so by buying me a coffee 
at www.buymeacoffee.com slash marissadf13. I'd also greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, as that will help this podcast reach a lot more listeners. And finally, you can find links for all of the sources I consulted in preparing this episode in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me again in two weeks for a new episode that examines spiritualism from a slightly different perspective. For now, I will leave you with a quote from Andrew Jackson Davis. This is from a work that he published in 1847 called The Principles of Nature, Her Divine Revelations, and A Voice to Mankind. And although this was written before anyone had ever heard of the Fox sisters, I think you'll be able to see why Davis and so many others at the time were so enthralled by spiritualism and so eager to experience for themselves. As Davis said, It is a truth that spirits commune with one another while one is in the body and the other in the higher spheres. All the world will hail with delight the ushering in of that era when the interiors of men will be opened and the spiritual communication will be established. Mm -hmm.